thank you for a huge year on the Words and Nerds podcast. In 2021, the podcast had more than 250 conversations with authors, publishers, agents, booksellers, podcasters, and other amazing bookish people in approximately 200 episodes. There are three spin-offs, Ben Hobson's Burgers, Beers and Books, Josie Layton's A Different Page, and Nathan J. Phillips's The Regular Takeover. We had 22 takeover guests and growing, a summer series takeover, a NaNoWriMo series, crossovers, and the incredibly popular Publishing Insider series. The podcast appeared at literary festivals. We hosted live streams at bookshops for book launches, including the much-loved Four Continents for Critics. This holiday series is all about you, the listeners. Enjoy the most listened-to episodes of 2021 to get you through the holiday period. Stay safe and read more books. Welcome to the 2021 Writers Unleashed Digital Festival. This session is all about the do's and don'ts of submitting a manuscript. I'm very much looking forward to spending some time with such a range of brilliant editors. I'm your panel convener, Danny V, from the Words and Nerds podcast. Let's go around the grid and say hello to our wonderful editors who are joining us today. Anna Blackie is an editor at Pantera Press. She joined Pantera Press in 2017 and is an important part of the Pantera Press submissions and editorial team. Anna is the author of How to Adult, a non-fiction guide to adulthood. I think I'd better get my hands on that book immediately. <laughs> Hello, Anna, how are you? Hi, good, thanks. How are you? Before we get going, give me one tip on how to adult. I'm really needing some advice right now. <laughs> You really need to learn how to fold a fitted sheet. It's Ooh. like the best skill I learned writing the book and my cupboard is so much more organised now. Oh, I love that. And really in lockdown, there's no excuse. Got plenty of time. Exactly. Get that sorted. <laughs> we also have Claire Halifax from Scholastic. Claire has worked in publishing since 1990, a publishing manager at Scholastic Australia. She's both publisher of Omnibus, Omnibus Books and manager of Scholastic's digital publishing program. Claire has worked with Mem Fox, Libby Gleason, Kerry Argent and Emily Roder. How are you, Claire? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm I'm hang, hanging out in lockdown town and, you know, Surviving. almost sane. Well, almost you, sane. you look like you're in a very beautifully cosy area and space yeah. there. Yeah, I, it is cosy. It is Lovely. nice. I even lit a, lit a candle for tonight. Oh, see, I feel like, like there's nice a bit of a therapy. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I could just drop in and have a bit of a chamomile tea with you. So we might do that next time. Yeah. <laughs> And we also have joining us is Tessa Feggins. Is Tessa is a commissioning editor at Allen and Unwin Book Publishers. She has previously worked at literary agency Curtis Brown in London, as well as the Sydney Writers Festival. One of her favourite parts of the job is working with authors editorially. So she's very keen to help writers shape and polish their manuscripts. Hello, Tessa. How are you? I'm good. I'm good to start. Also in lockdown life and. Um... Living the dream, working from home, making it it work. Yeah, working from home is tricky. I think it starts off really, really well, you know, getting up later and getting rid of the traffic. But then at some point you think, I think I live my life in a Zoom screen. I'd like to actually see people. So it's a bit of a tricky one, I think. It's a balance, definitely. It is, it is. And last but definitely not least, we have Anna Valdinger from HarperCollins. Anna started her publishing career editing for a literary agency in London before moving to Pan Macmillan and then joining HarperCollins in 2009 to take responsibility for developing the commercial fiction list. Her authors include Dervla McTiernan, Nicola Moriarty and Tara Moss. 
Moss, a very impressive bio. Hello, Anna. Uh, hello. Uh, hello from homeschooling lockdown kind of <laughs> fog. Yeah, I feel your yeah. pain. <laughs> strange time. Mm, it is strange times. And how are the kids coping? Are they, are they it's a bit difficult at times? Oh, look, you know, one can still go to daycare, so that's something, and mm-hmm. is uh, shepherded out of the door uh, as much as possible. And the other one, my kindergartner, is not as independent as we were hoping. So, you know... <laughs> The teacher yes. suggested that we all have a special tiara or hat that we can wear when we're not to be interrupted. Oh. But all that means is that I wear a stupid hat in the middle of my meetings and I'm just <laughs> shouting across the room like, look at the hat! I'm wearing, I'm wearing a tiara! <laughs> and actually, I'm thoroughly disappointed we're not wearing tiaras today, really. I'm quite disappointed about that. Next time we'll have to do that. I feel like I maybe wanted an online order coming through. I've got a top hat somewhere ferreted away. Why didn't we think of this? Pajamas and a crazy hat next time. (laughs) (laughs) Next time we'll do that. All right, let's get cracking. We've got about 40 minutes to talk all things editing and we're going to have so much knowledge thrown at us with these amazing people in front of us. So the first question, I'm going to hit you, Anna. First question, what defines a Pantera Press author? Well, Pantera is all about sparking imagination, like conversation and change. And so I think that we really look for people who are writing books that are really important to them and have a message that they want to really talk about and engage with their community with. Um, And so I think we just look for books that our team really loves. We're quite a small team, so we always bring it to the whole team to talk about and sit there and kind of feel the passion for the book. Mm. Um, Yeah, so our authors, we really just want them to be passionate about the work that they're writing and to be able to feel that. In- I love that. I love that a lot. And you can feel it when a writer is passionate about what they're talking about and when, you know, as Trent Dalton says, their heart and soul is on the page. You can feel that, I reckon. You, can, you know that when you're reading it. I like that a lot. Claire, what about you? What defines a scholastic author? Well, um, I'm going to say what defines an omnibus author because it's a literary imprint of scholastic. Yeah, sure. So a lot of scholastic is um, sort of um, powered, you know, high-coloured, you know, commercial, um, lots of picture books and junior fiction, and I do the same formats. But um, in the literary imprint, I like things that celebrate um, language, have a lot of heart, um, can be quite substantial, can be a bit quirky. And when I'm looking at um, longer stories for kids in middle grade and up, I like to call, um, I-, I want soul sticky stories, stories that kind of, you know, stick to you and you remember and, and become part of you as you're growing up. Because I think that when you're um, a kid, the reading you do, is it's probably the most important reading you do. And, and we remember books that we read as um, a kid more than anything else, whether it's, you know, Anna Green Gables or, you know, Lord of the Rings or whatever it is. So that sort of stuff is, is what I'm looking for, something that can glom onto someone's character and help be part of them. I love that. Did yes. you say soul sticky? That's what I call it. I, call I it love that. Sticky. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love it when I pick up a new term and already we're five minutes in. New term, soul sticky. Love it. Uh, Tessa, what defines an Alan and Unwin author? Um, well, similarly, Alan Unwin's, it's quite a, we have quite a broad range of authors. Um, and so I work with the adult team. Um, so I think the most important thing is is that it's exciting and, and that the author's really passionate about what they're writing, that 
that the words on the page are compelling. I think that's what it comes down to a lot of the time that that people feel compelled to read on, um, no matter what the topic is. Um, looking for really diverse um, backgrounds of authors and diverse subjects and um, basically authors who can really make people feel passionate about what they've written. I like the idea of compelling because I think we've all sat down with a book and not gotten up until we've finished or gotten as far as we can into the book and that's when you know that's a pretty special moment because I think all of us here would read a lot and sometimes it's a chore and it's a job and it's it's, it's, it's enjoyable but sometimes you think the world has to wait because I need to get to the end of this book and that's a special feeling I think. To be totally hooked and totally yeah I mean page turners it's a cliche but you know they exist. Absolutely they do I can think of a few that I've read already this year and um, Anna your turn what defines a HarperCollins author? Um, Well I mean we're one of the big publishers but um, I think that we still try and have a really personal approach to our authors um, and so that it doesn't feel like you know kind of big corporate publishing um, although we have a massive spread of the different kind of books that we do so there's kind of something for everyone there my list is um, mostly commercial fiction so in exactly the same way you know I'm looking for stories where the kind of the rest of the world feels like it sort of fades away and what's really vivid and real is what's right in front of you it's almost like diving inside um, you know, what I really love are kind of the best of the genre fiction, you know, so fantastic crime and thrillers, brilliant contemporary women's fiction, brilliant historical, amazing rom-coms, you know, anything that is just captivating um, and, and doing, I think, playing with genre in a way that I think is, can be really interesting, you know, fresh voices and a fresh take uh, on something that can be quite trope heavy, I find really interesting if you can bring an original twist on something that you know is is pretty common, you know, mm. or something that is quite published into a popular genre. That's always super exciting. To yeah, absolutely. And because you know, all of us read quite a lot. When you do find something original, it, it is quite noticeable and special. And and what I'm hearing here, I'm hearing words like captivating, compelling, soul sticky, passionate. So, you know, this is what you're looking for. And I guess it's not always easy as an author or an aspiring author to, to write that work, but you kind of know it when you see it, right, Anna? Would you agree? Yeah. Which Anna? <laughs> <laughs> Either of you. <laughs> I think it's true, though. I think there is something about when you start and the, the voice, you know, we talk so much about voice and, you know, um, aspiring authors will it feels a bit of a nebulous concept, I think, uh, when they're like, but what do you mean by my voice? But when it just sings off the page and it just feels like it's got a really strong point of view uh, and a really clear uh, a really clear voice and a really clear perspective, then that's just what grabs you straight mm. away, you know, mm. rather than kind of meandering your way into the story. I think that can be um, a trap that a lot of writers fall into as they work their way in. Mm, that's interesting. fine when you're drafting. But once you've edited, I think you want to get to the point where it's just mm-hmm. 
off yeah. places straight away. Maybe a good word like transportative, like completely <laughs> transport you. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot because it's hard starting a new book because you're into a new setting and new characters, you're trying to figure out what's going on, the writing style. And so when all those things fall away and become invisible and you're just immersed in the character, that's when you know it's a special book and you're probably not going to get up from the lounge again <laughs> until you're done. I've done that so many times. <laughs> Ignore the family. I'm here till 3 a.m. People, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> Anna Blackie, um, during a pitch or a manuscript submission, what should authors do? What are the kind of the key things they should be looking at doing? One thing I always really like to hear is comparison titles. Um, I think it's really important to be able to hear when an author can kind of place themselves next to other books in the market. Something that always worries me is when someone's like, oh, I don't know any other books that are like this or I don't read. Um, that's something that freaks me out a little bit when I'm getting a pitch. Um, so I think being able to kind of assess what your work is from an outside perspective is a really important thing when you're pitching and being able to see like what the merits of your book is and how you would sell it to someone else. Mm -hmm. And it seems really obvious, but if you want to be a writer, you need to be a voracious reader, don't you? Definitely, especially in the space that you're trying to write in to understand like what those tropes are and what the popular themes are at the moment and being able to see what other people have done really right and to know if you want to subvert those themes. I mean, you can't do it if you don't know what they are. So. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Yeah, it's interesting. But, yeah, I think uh, I think you write better too if you read better because you're sort of, you know, getting all that knowledge even if you don't know it when you're reading about character or, you know, how it's written and voice and narrative. Hopefully that's downloading in your head as you're reading. <laughs> Claire, during a pitch or manuscript submission, what should authors do? Um, I One of the important things, I think, is pitch to who you're pitching to. So sometimes um, I can get pitched to and it's a book that's just so far from what I would publish. And um, my advice to people is always if you've got a story, like a, finding a comparison title, go and find, go into a bookshop and go and look at the imprint pages of people who was publishing like that so you can really make the most of your pitch. Um, I sometimes have um, people pitching me educational titles because of Scholastic, but Scholastic is not an educational publisher. Um, and I think, well, I, I can't help so much then, but I think that's it, understanding that most publishers or imprints have a, have a, have a niche and making sure that you're pitching to the right person, understanding the market that you're um, writing for is important, especially in, um, well, in all genre fiction, there's different genres and in children's there's different age groups and lots and lots of different parameters. So I think that's important in, in a pitch. Of course, in, in story writing, there's a whole lots of, you know, things that are important. But certainly in a pitch, pitch to the right person for what you are writing and what you want to achieve. Mm, and that would be as simple as accessing the website, reading about submissions, looking at all the other books and authors that you've published, right? Yeah, all that sort of attention to detail about um, pitching um, and submission in the right way does tell us a lot, I think. And because we have to um, look at so many different things, everything is informing us. So. No, I like that a lot because, yeah, if, if you're not following the instructions of a simple submission, you might struggle with the rest of the process as well. Yeah. <laughs> Tessa, what should an author do when pitching or submitting a manuscript? Um, I think building on what both Anna and Claire said, 
Uh, I think an important thing for a writer to think about, a lot of people, a lot of writers think the most important thing in their goal is getting published, but actually the goal should really be to be read. Um, it's all very well being published, but if your book sells 100 copies, you're probably not going to be happy with that. Um, so thinking about, you know, not just what's on the page, but, you know, comparison titles, the market, you know, retailers, the author's publicity potential. These are all things that we think about on the other side of the coin so that you can maximise the sales potential. Because ultimately, you know, that's a, a big part of the business of publishing as well. Um, and if you can do a lot of that work yourself in a pitch and find the right comp titles that, you know, position your book in the way that makes the publisher's job easier to pitch it on from there um, and, you know, have a have an Instagram page that's you know got followers who you can pitch the book to when it comes out. All that kind of stuff actually makes a difference too. So, you know, do your research and and think about all of those things in the context of your pitch, not just about having an amazing story. You know, that that's great, but it it can help to think about all of those other things as well. Yeah, absolutely, and all those things help help the author deliver their work. And I really like what you said about writing not just to be published but to be read because that's the key thing isn't it people reading your work yeah yeah I like that because I think you're right the goal usually is to get published um but beyond that it's once you get published the hard work begins you know you've got to get that book into people's hands exactly yeah there's um I think a lot of people you know you you manage to sell your book but there's a whole lot of editing there's a whole editorial process that goes on after that and then there's a whole you know, then there's a whole sales process as well. Mm. So it's um, it's not as simple as just writing a good book, unfortunately. <laughs> and Anna, what should an author do from your perspective when pitching or submitting a manuscript? Uh, well, I completely agree with what everybody else has said. I mean, that's spot on. Um, and I would say as well as um, building up your kind of potential readership on social media. I think it can be really useful to um, join in on social media in the kind of writing networks and spaces as a reader, as a reviewer, uh, and make those connections with other authors as well so that you um, kind of start understanding, I guess, how that space works. Um, but for a pitch, I think something that's really worth thinking about for me is um, the hook of the book. Um, because as, as Tessa was saying, you know, once it gets through to the sales portion, you know, and the kind of business of publishing, we need to be able to distill down your idea into such a tiny little fragment. Um, my other half worked for uh, a retailer, book retailer, and, you know, he's talking about the sell-ins that they get from the various publishers. And of course he sees everybody's uh, pitches and he says, you know, they spend about 30 seconds on a book, you know, two minutes if it's an important book. They don't get a lot of time, the sales guys, to actually explain what it is. And so if an author has a really strong sense, and of course that's something that we would work with them on, but for a pitch, if you've got a really strong sense of what the book is, what is the little idea or question, particularly for the kind of commercial fiction that I do, that's just going to grab, you know, um, a reader or a retailer's attention and just be like, oh, that's intriguing. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's it's kind of, you know, not necessarily even its point of difference, but what its kind of premise is. Uh, that makes our job so much easier, you know, when I'm pitching it then to 
the acquisitions meeting and when the sales team is pitching it out to retailers and the retailers onwards to uh, readers and stuff. So I think trying to trying to distill down the idea of your book um, mm. rather that's quite than a, a long explanation. Yeah, but it's quite a reality check too that I think is really important for authors and aspiring authors that, you know, someone going into a bookshop might talk about your book for 30 seconds if you're lucky. So mm. all those ducks are going to be in a row and that, that's where a social media account could help or being known or being part of the literary community or making connections with your bookshops or um, mm. having and that. And it's hard really... because people, people have a lot of ideas and a lot of, themes and a lot of thoughts that are going into their book mm-hmm. so it feels a little reductive I think to say oh it's just about the kind of the what if you know but I remember the book that you know for example Leon Moriarty broke out within America the husband's secret great title immediately yes. it does half the work for you <laughs> you know and the premise is you find a letter from your husband addressed to you that says do not open until after I've died you're like do you open it do you not what's he hiding and what's in there I mean it's it's instantly you know you're in uh so if you can find some kind of central question or or idea um I think that just helps us enormously absolutely well in you know the in fairness let's continue with you Anna because I'm asking you the questions last so let's give you the first shot of this question Because otherwise it might get harder. I have less time to think about my answer. (laughs) I thought it might be harder for you always going last because everyone might have said what you wanted to say. But we're just (laughs) flipping this question on its head, really. If we've talked about what aspiring authors and authors should do, what are some of the things that you see that are maybe mistakes or errors of judgment or things that they definitely shouldn't be doing in a pitch or a manuscript submission? I think often um, trying to explain the plot in really forensic detail is not that helpful. Um, I think, again, if you're framing it, um, if you're framing it in, as part of the business, it's so, it's so kind of difficult sometimes, I think, because, you know, writing is a creative endeavor and trying to marry that um, kind of artistic integrity, I guess, with the commercial side of publishing. But bear in mind when you're pitching that we are wearing our commercial hats all the time. Of course, it's about being passionate about the story. And of course, we want to, um, you know, have books that we really believe in and the stories that are telling um, things that we think are going to be important and um, bring a broad perspective of, of voices into the world. But at the same time, we have to think when, how are we going to sell it and whether we can sell it uh, and where does it fit into the market and stuff. So, going on and on about your you know 400,000 word epic fantasy that you know is it's just not going to it's just not going to cut through um and feel like something that's viable you know Mm. so just try and focus your pitch as much as possible Mm. rather than kind of meandering around and I know it's hard people get so nervous yeah pitching but it's interesting too because some pictures are five minutes and so I actually think they're the best pictures because you have to get straight to the point. You can't meander on for 15 minutes. You have to think what is the hook or the crux of this story because I've got five minutes and it's the fast, fastest five minutes of your entire life. <laughs> you blink and it's like, oh, it's done. Great. <laughs> do you find that? Try, try and hook our attention, I guess. Yeah. Do you find the shorter pictures are often the ones where you get to the guts of the story? If if the pitcher has, you know, has managed to shape their pitch that way, um, sometimes it takes them the first 30 seconds to kind of 
focused in on what they want to say if they're not very well prepared then mm-hmm. I think that they can end up wasting their own time a little yep. bit um, yep. as well so, so being unprepared really is also a don't Mm. (laughs) Tess I'm going to go backwards this time just to confuse you all Uh, what (laughs) should an author or aspiring author definitely not do or errors of judgment mistakes you've seen made that doesn't help them with their pitch or manuscript submission um probably a similar thing the focus thing I think it's so easy to go off in you know, go into such great detail and oversell really um, when when the important thing is being able to distill your idea. Um, and I think for some people, what we were talking about before about comps, I think it's really important to have them 100%, but I think it's also important that they're realistic. Um, and I think, you know, if you're saying you're the next Leanne Moriarty or J.K. Rowling or whoever, um, you know, everyone's the next Sally Rooney these days, right? Um, (laughs) So, you know, I think it's also important to kind of really find very specific comps that kind of work um, with your particular book um, because, yeah, it's, um, it's important to be specific and focus and really get to the crux of what your pitch actually is and really distill that down to a very specific message that you know gets gets us in and that means we can get everyone else in too Mm, yeah because that's the point you might like it then you've got a whole other host of people you've got to convince as well (laughs) yeah claire what should people not be doing in pitches and submissions um, well, there's a particular thing that happens in children's publishing, which is my big no-no for a couple of reasons, and that is where a pitch tells me that children need to know something or should know something or should learn something. And a, a good story may have a, um, a moral or some kind of message in it, but it has to be secondary to the plot and the plot is king and all the um, reasons in the world of, of why, you know, a kid should know something is one not the point. Um, and two, I just, I have this saying that no child wants to curl up with a good lecture <laughs> because I think that, again, childhood reading is where we start. And if we, if books become something that lecture to us or it's like you should do this or something that kind of just feels like someone else, you know, um, having a go at us, Children will not like books and they will not grow up to be adult readers. It's really important that we engender um, love, the love of reading, the joy of reading, the friendship that you find in a book. So, um, and great if there's a message or something else, but where where someone comes as a kind of, I'm I'm not coming to you as a writer, but as a parent or a teacher and, and I'm going to tell kids to clean their teeth or do something else, I'm, I'm out immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think if all that stuff um, doesn't come through in a good way in the text, there's no point because, um, you know, no reader's going to read the cover letter. So mm-hmm. it's sort of it, it needs to be in the story and, and not a lecture. Mm-hmm. It's I a, like it, that. It's, it's, it, I think it's probably quite particular to, um, to children's publishing. Mm-hmm. But I was going to say, as an adult, I don't want to curl up with a lecture either. <laughs> No, no, and, and I love nonfiction. I love learning things, but it's, um, you know, and, and books can be informative, but there is this sort of um, should monster 
that happens sometimes in mm. pitches and sub- submissions, and I'm and that will that's that's a big no for me. No, I I love that because as you know, a mother of small children myself, even I like to read them the joyful stories, mm. you know. And often as a parent, you know, Anna's nodding her head. You have to read these stories five hundred times. <laughs> like, yeah, you need it, to it, be getting some joy from them too. It it, it needs to start with um at the beginning as joy and fun and laughter and and something associated with and bonding. Not lecturing, but all those lovely bedtime stories, you know, Mem Fox in particular write so beautifully. That's all about bonding and love and comfort and sanctuary. And that's where we start. And if if we start to learn that books are just someone else telling us to pick up our socks, why would we go there? <laughs> I agree. And right now, living in lockdown life, I think we could all agree that a little bit of joy, a bit of extra joy in our lives would not go astray. Yeah. Anna, what about you? What are you seeing that people shouldn't be doing, mistakes they're making, errors of judgment? Uh, Something that I've been noticing a bit recently is people who have had their work edited before they've pitched it, which is always a good thing when you're drafting and working on it and if you, you know, have better readers helping you, but then thinking that entering into the publishing process, they don't need any editorial work afterwards. And that's something that is scary to hear in a pitch because that's kind of a major part of the publishing process. <laughs> like, here is my finished book, Anna. Can you please publish yeah, it? Publish it immediately. <laughs> I think it's kind of people who don't have a full understanding of what the publishing process is and also aren't willing to accept feedback and can't see how collaborative a process it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's about knowing that a publisher can bring a lot to your work and being open to suggestions and feedback and knowing that publishers aren't out there to destroy the book that you've worked on, but to help make it better and to help it be read by lots of people and to sell. So. It's going to be different for every publisher too, because if I've got my beautiful manuscript edited by someone else, it's going to be edited differently if I give it to Harper or Alan Unwin or Scholastic or Pantera Press. Like you're all going to have different perspectives on it. And so, there are like style guides. Like sometimes you have to edit it to make sure the style is right, which is like a simple thing and something that a lot of people don't know about when they come into the publishing process. Interesting. And that's a great segue, Anna, because I want to talk about feedback now. So we'll go back around and start with you again this time, Anna Blackie. And I'm really interested in feedback. I love the idea of feedback, but it's not everyone's cup of tea, as we've just been speaking about. So I wanted to ask, what would be your advice as an editor for authors or aspiring authors in regard to accepting that feedback you know, what, what should authors or aspiring authors be thinking about doing when they're, they're given, you know, track changes or, or verbal feedback or whatever? How would you, idea in an ideal world, how would that person be accepting and, and reacting to that feedback? I think the first thing is knowing that track changes are scary, even if there aren't a lot of changes in your book, because they honestly look terrifying when you receive a manuscript with red all over it and I think knowing that it always looks a lot worse than it is like every comma has a red line under it so it's like just it's okay it's not a big deal but I do think it's what I said before about publishers and editors aren't there to destroy the thing that you've worked on or to change it monumentally it's about elevating it to be the best it can be and adding a fresh set of eyes to something that you might be a little bit too close to and yeah, I think it's about knowing that the people that are working with you on your book are there to help and that they really want it to be as good as it can be. It's about the work, isn't it? It's not about personally you as an author or how well you've written this chapter. It's about the work and getting that work into as many people's hands as possible. 
Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, people don't take on a book that they're not passionate about or that they don't believe can do well and that mm. that's something to always keep in mind when you're yeah. going through your edits. Yeah, absolutely, because it's a, obviously a very competitive market. So, yeah, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. Claire, feedback, tell us all about it. Oh, it's so it's so important um, to be able to take on feedback. Um, again, as Anna said, we're all there to make the book better. Um, it's only about helping. Um, I'm finding, um, and I don't mind if someone's had something edited beforehand because in some ways they're trying to present best foot forward to get through the submissions process, but as long as they understand that we're not a printing service, <laughs> that we will be working with them um, in all sorts of ways and it could be minor ways, it could be ma major ways, whatever way it needs to be, but that the collaborative process and creative process should be a joyful thing, even if there's lots to do, because often um, you, when you get the chance to revisit something, that's fantastic. I have found um, a few times that um, I've had, and it's usually new authors, um, just won't, won't take any feedback. And the problem with that is, again, that everything is information. So it says, okay, well, this person's quite hard to work with and they're not being involved in the publishing process. So it makes it less likely that you will do more books with them because it's competitive and because there's so many people in a queue, you will um, tend to say, well, okay, well, that's not working for me because publishing is this process and not a printing service. Um, and that's hard. One of the things I think is useful to understand that even whether people said something edited professionally or not, to get to submissions, they will have had a lot of offering different feedback and subjective feedback from writers' groups and everything else. So sometimes I also find that, but, but my writers' group said X and, I, and it's also subjective and ultimately the only editor that really matters is your publishing editor because you're working on a commercial project together. Mm -hmm. So um, I think you just have to accept if you want to be published by a publisher, that is what you're signing up for. And the publisher side of things is marketing and distribution and all, all the things, but absolutely um, creating a book with you and not against you. <laughs> I like that. But I do like that, you know, with you, collaborative and separating yourself and thinking, no, it's all about the work because, you know, the best creative endeavours, particularly publishing, the best work is done collaboratively with all those different minds and experts going into making the work the best possible thing it can be. It's a conversation and usually conversations build into something, you know, greater than the sum of their parts. And, and that's, that, that is a joyful process, hopefully, for everyone. No, I love that idea, the conversation. Mm, it's nice. Tessa, what about you? Give us your feedback tips. Um, I Yeah, I think it's it's important to remember that the people who you're working with in a publishing house took you on for a reason and are passionate about your work and there's literally no reason why they would do anything to jeopardise um, your manuscript because it's not in their interest either. Um, I, and I also think there's maybe this isn't necessarily recognised enough, but if someone's job is as an editor, then you as a writer should probably take their advice um, or take, take, take into consideration the fact that this is someone's job and they've been doing it for a while and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a vocation. So 
um, that a professional editor is someone you should, you know, be working with and be really keen to collaborate with in that sense. Um, I think it's also really important to keep in mind through the whole process before you get published and once you're in the editorial process, like have, be really open-minded about your manuscripts. It's a work in progress all the way through. Um, I once gave a talk to a writing class where one of the students said, oh, well, you know, if I have to, I get, I get my manuscript deal, I sign a contract, and then I have to have a structural edit, a copy edit, and a proofread in-house. Is there any point in getting um, an editorial consultant to look at it before I submit it? Um, and obviously that's sort of a balance of, you know, you only get one bite of the cherry often to kind of, um, you know, get your foot in the door with a publishing house and get your contract and you want your work to be as good as possible before. So, yes, you will have to do a lot of work to get published in the first place. But I think keeping in mind that once you have a contract, it's still a work in progress and there is still going to be a lot of work that is done um, and being really open-minded about that and, you know, being collaborative with the professionals that you're working with um, is just a really important thing to keep in mind. But also once it goes to print, it's gone. So there's, there's no more work in progress at that point. <laughs> I like that. And I, I've heard that, you know, art is never finished. It's only published or framed or you know, <laughs> put, a, put aside, but it's never finished. I like that. Anna, tell me about feedback. Oh, look, and apologies for the busting talk. Oh, we love cameo appearances. Um, it's not a Zoom meeting unless there's a cameo appearance from a family member, so thank you for ticking that yeah, box. Life goals are to be that guy on the BBC <laughs> who's kids with um, Could be me. We've not finished yet. Oh, exactly, yes. There's no guarantee that there's no one else coming in. Um, I would say that it's really important for authors to understand that it's going to be emotional. Um, I heard something from, I think it was an actor talking about um, getting direction, but I think it absolutely holds up for, um, for editorial notes and feedback. And certainly um, one of my authors did a very funny Instagram stories sort of taking, taking everyone through the emotional roller coaster of getting the notes that I had just sent her. And, you know, and I think step one is um, you're an idiot. And then step two is I'm useless. And then step three is there's probably something here. <laughs> Let's get to work. Um, and I think that it's okay to go through that process. And I think that's completely reasonable. Um, but understanding, as everybody has said, that it is a team. We only bought your book because we see the potential in it. And, you know, we want, we want the book to sell. We want you to be successful. Um, but I do think it also um, speaks to the importance of signing up with a publisher who understands the kind of writer that you want to be. I think that relationship between a publisher and an author and an editor and an author is so key and it really is it's that it's that collaboration that if it works is so beautiful you know I love the editorial conversations that I have with my authors they can be hilarious you know and they can be extremely constructive you know ideas come out of those chats that neither of us would ever have come up with on our own you know and all of that kind of goes into elevating the work uh, I think as Tessa said that that just makes it that much more special and and really sing 
But ultimately, it's the author's call. It's always the author's book. And so, you know, there have been times where I have pushed quite hard for a certain change or, you know, tweak or cut or something. And I think authors need to be ready to kill their darlings. I think you need to understand that even if it's a beautiful scene or a beautiful sentence, if it's not necessarily adding anything or pushing the story along or enriching character or doing any of the things that it needs to do. If it's just lovely in and of itself, it doesn't necessarily need to stay. But, you know, it's not my book. It's not my name on the book. So if an author absolutely kind of can't let something go or put their foot down, maybe it's just that it needs to be integrated a bit better or that there is an element there that needs addressing without necessarily having to like hack and slash. So there's probably a compromise position that can be found. Um, I have worked with authors sometimes where they have just flatly refused, uh, you know, and you've kind of copy edited or, or really kind of gone deep on a structural on, uh, on a book and the author has just turned around and said, no, I'm just not doing any of that. And it's just crushing as an editor because, you know, you pour in a lot of love and care and thought um, to trying to make it better. Uh, and so that does make it quite difficult. Um, but, you know, it's, so it's an emotional process for the editor and the publisher as well. You know, we're very invested mm. in making it good and making it the best book that you can possibly um, do. So I think it's, Yes, it's a key to understand that it's emotional for everybody, but uh, ultimately, you know, it's an extremely positive mm. process. Even you if know, if there's no emotion it. going into the creative process of a book, I don't want to read it. You know, I'm not mm. interested in reading a book that hasn't had everyone's tears on the pages. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a trust thing. It goes both ways as well. Like you want the writer to be trusting the editor, but the editor also has to you know, know that it's ultimately it's the author's work and trust that, you know, they know what the heart of the book is as well. So it, it is that trust relationship between between the two, definitely. And it must be such a special feeling when you've seen that manuscript, you know, it might be rough or you, but you can see the sort of gold in it and then through the stages and finally having that beautiful book in your hands with all that joy and tears and process in between, like that must be a really special feeling, that journey a to Z, a very long journey. <laughs> Must be special. Getting a finished copy of a book that you've worked really hard on in your hands, I think, never it never gets old, mm. I don't think. Um, and seeing positive reader reviews and great feedback uh, and the author getting the recognition that they deserve, you know, is just, I mean, that's why we all do it, I think. Mm. Which is another great segue, Anna, because my final question is, why do you love to edit? And I want you to sort of add in the joy you get and the challenges you get and why you love it. So let's go backwards again, Anna, Anna V. Anna V. Oh, I think, well, it's, it's a weird metaphor perhaps that I always use to um, describe my job and kind of my role. But I think that you're kind of a midwife for the author's book baby you know <laughs> and it's you know it's your job or my job to really make it as joyous as I was saying you know an experience as possible um and you know it's the best job in the world I get to work on 
stories that I just think are brilliant, you know, and that that capture my imagination and characters that capture my heart. And I mean, that's that's just such a privilege. And then also to work with authors who are smart. I respect them enormously. I respect their creativity. I could never write a book. I don't have that in me at all. I'm amazed at the stamina, the perseverance and the, you know, and the talent that goes into doing it. And it is just so wonderful to be part of that process and feel like you've contributed. Um, and also to be able to um, bring what I think, you know, are brilliant, talented authors and present them to the world and, and see them go out and have their work published and, and be read uh, and be enjoyed. And I mean, and build a career, uh, you know, over several books. It's just, it's immensely special. Mm. Um, it sounds like it. Tessa, why do you love to edit challenges, joys, if you have either? <laughs> um, I think editing is this kind of really fun mix of reading and writing, which is hard to find in other ways and you know as someone who's you know always been a big reader it's such a privilege to be able to have a job where such a big part of that is you know spending so much time reading and interrogating and um, helping kind of clarify someone's idea into something that really resonates with an audience and can really um, you know capture people and transport people and transport them to different places that you know take them out of their everyday lives um and yeah working with amazing people um you know there's no there's no one type of personality that is an author um they're all completely different and you know it's so um amazing to be able to work with such a variety of people um and yeah it's um it's a great job <laughs> Sounds, it sounds like you all are very passionate about it. I think that comes through, obviously, in, the, in all the work and in the publishing houses that you are working in. Claire, tell us about you. Uh, why do you love to edit Joy's Challenges? Oh, well, it's it's mostly Joy. It's, it is hard work. It is emotional. But I get to spend my days um, immersed in story and I started as a reader as a young child I studied literature and writing at university and I spent most of my life um, matching things in between and and then working in children's publishing with picture books I also studied art not as an artist but you know theory and whatever and so I, I get to do all the things that I love and put them all together to help other people one to create a book and, and midwife a baby and everything else. <laughs> but also at, at the end, when you have that book, you are sharing that that um, someone's work that we've polished and, 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 and helped, you know, after the gestation into the world, but then goes to readers who are going to share in that joy, who are going to fall in love with characters or language or everything else that we've experienced. So in every, every part of it, is sharing something really wonderful and to have that as a job is is it's a pretty big blessing i think yeah it's hard it's hard at times definitely and and you can have your head immersed in so many stories and i have the weirdest dreams ever but <laughs> I love, that's, um, that's for a whole other episode i think <laughs> <laughs> but it's um 
you know, to be able to spend your time producing something that means so much to the creator and to the reader is it, it's pretty special. You don't want to give that up. Special. It is special. Yeah. And I love how we've now turned this into midwifery. This is the midwifery series. It, it, it is. Of it definitely I love is midwifery. Yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> and Anna, yeah, that's the book dollars. Oh, I'm going to have to tell Writers Unleashed we changed the name of this particular panel. <laughs> Welcome to the book dollars. <laughs> Anna Blackie, tell us about you. Why do you love to edit? Challenges and joys. Uh, I really, really love books and to use Claire's great word, um, I had so many soul sticky books when I was younger and it makes me so happy to think that I could be working on things that would give other people the same experience that I had. And I think, like, it is someone's baby. <laughs> Back to book dooling. And there's <laughs> so much, like, joy in helping someone work on something that they're so passionate about and help that come out into the world and to think that they can make a career out of being an author which is just so exciting and amazing to me and there definitely are challenges when you're working with someone's baby and worrying like in a vacuum as well I think mm -hmm. sometimes that's the hardest thing about editing is that you're working on this project and you don't know how someone's going to respond to it until the very end of all the work that you've done but seeing someone respond to that really positively or really enjoy the work that you've put in and being able to work co collaboratively is so worth it. Mm. And yeah, I think like the puzzle of editing is so engaging, especially with structural work. It's just like, I don't know, it makes me really excited and it's a real brain teaser and can just, when you figure something out for a plot line that's going to really help the story or you and the author can work collaboratively on something and then you come up with this great thing and you're like, it's mind-blowing and it's just really fun and so exciting. I love all of that. And it's been such a privilege to be able to convene this panel today. And I knew it was going to be a great chat. I knew that I was going to learn a lot. But besides those beautiful words that you've been using, compelling, soul-sticky, passionate, the tears on the page and the emotion, what's really struck me is how much you care about the work that you're doing and how much you care about the manuscripts you're getting. And we've turned it into babies. Our books are our babies and, and you are the midwives of these books. So it's really come through. And I think that's really special that not only are you looking at all the obvious things of how selling the book and getting it into readers' hands and, and making it readable, but there's that real beautiful care factor, which I guess comes from, from the passion that you have for the work that you create. So I think that is, is really special. So I think any authors that get to work with you are very, very fortunate. And I feel fortunate to have been able to speak to you all today for the wonderful 2021 Writers Unleashed Digital Festival. Hopefully 22, we might be able to come together in person and actually have that cup of tea, Claire, <laughs> and do it all again. Fingers crossed. But thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy to hear from you all and um, the wonderful care and knowledge and expertise that you bring to the table. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.